Well, good morning, everybody. Oh, there we are. We're a bit awake. Good morning, everybody online. Glad to have everybody join us here this morning. Uh, it's a hot one, eh? <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, it's truly summer out there. Years ago, well, first, let me introduce myself because maybe some people... My name is Brian Miller. I'm one of the elders here at Auburn. I'm not sure who's all joining us online or here this morning, and uh, it's my privilege to bring the message today. And uh, We're in a series called Let Me Remind You, and I'll get back to what the uh, full title is uh, later, but that's our, our series that we're in the midst of right now is several messages about Let Me Remind You, dot, dot, dot. Now, several years ago, um, Esther probably remembers when, I don't remember the dates, uh, Esther decided that this farm boy needed a little bit of culture in his life. And so she said, we're going to start going to some theater shows in Toronto. So I'm pretty sure the first one was Phantom of the Opera. And then we went to Les Miserables, if I said that correctly even. And then we went to Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And I'm not sure, you know, how many years spanned uh, those, just what years they were, but um, I have to admit and you're probably not surprised, it was the Joseph one that I really enjoyed the most. And what really caught me was the beginning. I'm not sure if you've ever gone to the theater or watched it online. Online, I think, is much different than being in the theater. But the beginning to the show really caught my attention. Because if you go to the theater, you know, you're in the big old fancy theater in Toronto, you know, you get dressed up for it, you know, especially um, when we went in, in the 90s. And everybody's prim and proper and, and quiet, especially as you get closer to starting time. And there's a d- dull, you know, murmur uh, of people talking, but, you know, they're being, uh, uh, checking their watches, knowing it's about to start, and, and nobody wants to be, you know, rude to the actors. And then all of a sudden, we hear this noise, and it's kids talking, and it's a lot of kids talking, and it's growing louder, and it's growing louder. And people are getting upset. Like some of, I think, the regular theater goers, you know, there was people, you know, they're going, shh, shh. But they don't even know who they're shushing, right? Because we couldn't see uh, where this noise was coming from until all of a sudden there's a crowd of kids coming down the aisle, the floor seating aisles. And we realized the show has started. These kids making all this noise are the beginning of the show. And it was hilarious to kind of see people, there's people getting very indignant going, shh, right? But they couldn't see where it was, it was coming from. But if you know the story of Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, it starts off and it's in a school gymnasium. And so they start off by bringing the kids down through the crowd and breaking that silence. And they you know, file up on stage because there's a guest speaker uh, to the school who's going to tell the story of Joseph and the amazing colored dream coat. And I probably enjoyed it, one, because the introduction caught my attention like that, but it's also a musical, uh, it was funny, I was familiar with the story, and it was in English, all right? Those are some, uh, some good points for me. So the story of Joseph if you're familiar with it, is recorded in the last several uh, chapters of the book of Genesis. And 
it, it consumes those final, um, those final chapters. And there's actually a lot, because it's such a, uh, a long story with lots of details, there's a lot of different lessons we can learn from the story of Joseph. And for the musical, it was very focused on Joseph's dreams and what can happen if you pursue dreams and live out your dreams. But there's so much more. There's so many different uh, things that we can learn from the life of Joseph and what he went through. And this morning, we're going to talk about um, forgiveness. What we can learn about forgiveness or what we can be reminded about forgiveness through the story of Joseph, the son of Jacob and Rachel. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we open up your word this morning, we ask you, Lord, to uh, help us through your Holy Spirit to put off distractions, uh, worries, and concerns of this world, Lord. And would you speak to us through your living word, the Holy Scriptures this morning, Lord. Guide us and direct us, and um, may uh, this whole morning, the songs that we have sung the songs that we will sing, communion time, Lord. May it be all to your honor and glory as you look to uh, speak to us and as we look to honor and glorify your holy and almighty name. Amen. So, this is, so as I said earlier, we're continuing in our series of let me remind you dot, dot, dot. And today, I'm at the rest of that title, I'm actually uh, quoting, it's a quote from... Um, to Martin Luther King Jr. And it reads, Let me remind you, forgiveness is not an occasional act. It is a constant attitude. Now, I'm sure a lot of you, to different degrees, are familiar with the story of Joseph. It starts in Genesis 37. goes right to the very end of, of chapter 50 of Genesis. And I'm going to try and go through a brief, quick summary of those chapters, uh, of that story, um, just to kind of set the stage and remind you about, you know, the, the story of Joseph, because I have no idea when the last time you've read it or, or listened to it or, or any of those things. And I'll do, try and do a good job of keeping it short so that we're not here all morning, because like I said, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a big story, and if I try to get into too much detail, um, we'll, uh, we'll be into the heat of the day. Anyhow. So, Joseph was the son of Jacob, otherwise known as Israel, and Rachel, Jacob's favorite wife. At the beginning of Joseph's life, he lived in Canaan with his family. Joseph had one full brother, Benjamin, who was younger than him, and ten older brothers that were half-brothers. And his older brothers all hated him. They despised him. And... That was made obvious when we read about Jacob giving Joseph this ornate coat, this multicolored coat. Now, I was thinking about wearing a robe this morning. We don't have any multicolored robes. And Esther went digging for some replacements, shawls. That's, that's not really me. It's still... That's still not really me. 
This is a little bit more me. Anyhow, I'm not doing a robe this morning. I'm not doing a show. I was going to get too hot up here. So anyhow, but to give you an idea, right? It was something different. It was something unique. You know, the Bible describes it as an ornate uh, outer coat for him. And so that marked him as the favorite, and his brothers hated him with a passion, if not before. And on top of that, Joseph, we're told, gets two dreams. And those dreams say that Joseph is going to be better than his brothers. And he doesn't keep that to himself. He tells them. So the hatred builds. And then one day we read that the ten brothers are out taking care of the sheep. Joseph is sent to check on them. And as they see him coming... The brothers go, now's our chance. Let's get rid of that kid. Let's kill him. Now, um, it was uh, Reuben, the oldest brother, who says, no, 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 let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in this big well or big cistern. Um, And Reuben was going to come back and save him later, but let's just throw him there. And then as, you know, the conversation continues about him and whatnot amongst the brothers. Then uh, Judah seems an opportunity instead of killing him. Let's get something for him. Let's sell him to these Ishmaelite uh, merchants that are traveling by. So they sell Joseph off, and now Joseph is gone. But they got to explain it to Jacob, their father. What happened? Well, they had this story. Let's take his robe. So before they sold him, they stripped him of his robe, ripped up his robe, killed a goat, put the blood on it, took it to their dad, and went, Dad, Joseph must have got eaten by a wild animal on his way to us because he never made it to us. And um, that was supposed to be kind of the end of Joseph's story, right? And yet it was only the beginning uh, of the story. The Ishmaelites then went to Egypt. They sold Joseph to Potiphar. Potiphar was in charge of Pharaoh's whole guard. And... Joseph, being such a very godly man and blessed by God, he rose up in, uh, in, in power and became number two to Potiphar in, in charge of his whole house. But that was only for a time because Potiphar's wife decided to flirt with him and Joseph wanted nothing to do with that. And so she cries foul and off he is to jail. So here he is again. He'd You know, down and out, up high, down and out again. But now when he's there, again, his reputation, his character, his godliness wins him favor amongst the guards. And so he's got some freedoms. Now, a couple other of the Pharaoh's servants are sent to to jail. There's a whole story there with interpreting dreams. One ends up dying. The other one ends up going back up to uh, Pharaoh's service and said, Hey, Joseph, I'll remember you. Well, a week goes by, a month goes by, a year goes by, two years go by before Joseph is remembered by the cupbearer who mentions him to the Pharaoh Pharaoh, who's had a dream and said, Hey, all my wise people, if you're so good, tell me what my dream was and tell me what the interpretation was. Nobody could do it. The cupbearer goes, Hey, I know a guy who can interpret dreams. They bring Joseph out of jail, tells the Pharaoh what his dreams are, 
uh, interprets them for him, tell him there's going to be a seven-year famine. And the Pharaoh so impressed, he puts Joseph into a high, high place, basically second in command of all of Egypt. So, the major famine strikes. It's large. It's wide. And after a couple years, Jacob and his sons have no food. And so Jacob sends the ten sons to Egypt because there's food there. Joseph has stored all kinds of food there, but they don't know Joseph's there. The ten brothers show up. Joseph recognizes them and goes, my brothers. And there's not enough time to go through the whole saga of what happened there. And then Joseph ends up, you know, down the road, he holds a special meal for all the brothers. He reveals who he is. And Joseph says, I forgive you. I know what your intentions were. God had different intentions, and I forgive you. Joseph gets to see Jacob again, and hopefully that wasn't too fast enough detail to kind of strike your memory on the story of Joseph. So one lens to look at the story of Joseph is to look at his life and see all the ups and downs, all the trials, all the hard things that he had to go through because people chose to mistreat him, to treat him wrong. And yet, you know what we don't read? We don't read Joseph held a grudge. We don't read Joseph hated his brothers. We don't read Joseph dwelled on the things of the past and wanted revenge. Those are some of the things we don't read about Joseph. Not at all. We read about his good character, right? And how that elevated him. If you turn to Genesis chapter 37, we're going to read a little bit from there. Joseph's dreams are recorded for us here. So Genesis 37 Verse 3, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. I think that was really important for Joseph that his father told him, you are special to me. I love you. And I don't know if he said those in words, but he at least did those in actions by giving him that ornate thing. Verse 5. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I have had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, and suddenly my, sh- my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And then he had another dream, very, very similar. I believe God gave Joseph those two dreams to say, Joseph, I love you. Joseph didn't know what was in store for him 
as a young teenager when he had these dreams. But God knew. And so Joseph had a foundation set for him. He knew his earthly father loved him, and he knew his heavenly father loved him. And I think he really held, held on to that. Joseph held on to that big picture outlook. No matter what happened to him, I think he had that great foundation of knowing he was loved. And probably, you, you got to think, you know, I mean, we're, we're in Genesis, it's early, it's early on, but stories about his ancestors. I'm sure that Joseph would have been told stories about Abraham, right? I mean, I'm sure he heard the story about Abraham and Isaac going up on the mountain and how God provided. And it was through that experience, Abraham referred to God as Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. And maybe, just maybe, that was a name that Joseph was able to hold on to, that he learned about. As he went through the trials, he could hold on to know God provides through all those things. Flip with me, if you would, a couple chapters. Chapter 45. We're going to pick it up in verse 4. We fast-forwarded through some of the story here. We're, we're, we're much later on. This is where Joseph makes himself known uh, to his brothers. Verse 4, we read, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me here ahead of you. For two years now there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So, then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all of Egypt. Doesn't that really emphasize how God was in control? How God is constantly in control? He had the plan. Even though it took the hatred of his brothers and the nasty things that they did and they said to get him to that point, God was in control of all the ups and downs. And through this experience, again, I think Joseph was holding on to that name, Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. He had that foundation of love, knowing God was on his side Ultimately, no matter what was happening. Let's go to Genesis 50. The last chapter of Genesis. Starting in verse 15. Now, verses 1 through 14 gives us the whole story of Jacob slash Israel. Him dying, buried, all that type of stuff. Um... And then we pick up the story here in verse 15. Thank you, Daniel, for already reading this for us. Verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? 
Joseph had already told them much earlier, I forgive you, God was in control. But at least one of these brothers had not forgiven themselves or had not truly believed that Joseph had forgiven them. Even though Joseph's actions had been nothing but providing for them, something was stirred. Someone was holding on to their past sins and stirred up the other brothers so that they all decided, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe we're in trouble now that daddy's passed away. Verse 16, so they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. Now, we don't know if Jacob really did leave these instructions or not, if he said them at some point, but, um, but this is what we're told, that they told Joseph their father had said, this is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. They sent a message to Joseph saying, Dad says you have to forgive us. You don't have a choice. Right? And they were talking about their earthly father saying, you don't have a choice. You have to forgive us. And then we read Joseph wept. And it, well, it doesn't tell us why Joseph wept. But maybe he wept because he was a little bit hurt inside. Because he's like, I've already told you I've forgiven you. I've tried to show you I forgive you. Why do you think that would change? Well, maybe they thought that would change because they didn't really know their brother all that well. But they get to know their brother much better through this conversation. Verse 18, his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. They sent the message first. They followed up coming in person to him. But what was Joseph's response? This is an incredible response. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Men and women of the past of current make plans all the time. They make plans that are often very self-centered, self-serving plans. Plans focused around ourselves, right? But what we're reminded here is that God is in full control of those plans. The plans we make are just a small part of God's big plan. And Joseph tells him again, I can forgive you because only God is big enough to make this all unfold the way it's unfolded. As Joseph looked back at the things that happened to put him where he was in place, it was absolutely critical to establishing the nation of Israel. And it's 
as you read those twists and turns through the whole story, you're like, this is crazy. This is wild. This is unbelievable. This is nasty stuff to, to Joseph. But as wild as those things are, his incredible, mature response is even greater. The NIV interprets it, don't be afraid, I am, am I in the place of God? The New Living Te- Testament, it reads, don't be afraid of me, am I God that I can punish you? Let me read that again. Don't be afraid of me, am I God that I can punish you? What an attitude that Joseph had. People do a lot of evil in this world. They do a lot of wrong. They do a lot of wrong to other people, intentionally. In the past, and lots of it's happening around us, lots of it will happen, unfortunately, today. And I know some of you are listening, some of you are here, and you're going, Brian, if you, know my, if you knew my story, If I could only tell you what so-and-so did to me, that is evil, that is sin. And I couldn't argue with you. My heart would probably go out to you because we live in a fallen world. But in the words of Joseph, we are to learn something, right? Joseph said, am I God? Are you God? No. And unfortunately, people who hold grudges, people who um, hold on to these things and, and don't forgive people, it's actually worse on you as an individual than it is on the person you're holding a grudge against. You can read, all, you, you can search unforgiveness and read all kinds of quotes, but kind of a common thread is that unforgiveness is like locking yourself up in a jail cell, punishing yourself inside that jail cell in hopes that the person that you're mad at feels your pain. So maybe you're thinking, okay, well, that's, that's Joseph. I mean, Joseph must have been superhuman. He must have been have it, an incredible, unbelievable relationship with God to be like that. I don't know. He obviously had a great relationship with God to be like that. I don't know if he was superhuman, though. Turn with me, if you would, to the New Testament. To Matthew chapter 6. Let's see what Jesus says about forgiveness. All right? We've got an example of someone from the Old Testament who went through a lot and had the attitude of forgiveness. But why is that important today? Well, Matthew chapter 6, we pick it up partway through what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is giving uh, this long instruction sermon. Uh, teaching the people, the crowd around him. And in, 
in verse 5, we start reading, Jesus says, I need to teach you a bit about prayer. And then he launches into what we, we know we've said many times, starting in verse 9. And Jesus says, this is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus is teaching the people about prayer, the proper way to prayer, how to pray rightly. And here we are instructed to ask forgiveness for ourselves. But it seems before we ask forgiveness for ourselves, he wants us to already forgive others that have done wrongs to us. So maybe before we do our daily devotions, asking God to forgive our sins, have we really checked where we are in our relationship with God? Do we already have that attitude of forgiveness that we can in turn come to God and ask Him for forgiveness? So that's the what, right? You're saying, okay, I know I'm supposed to do that. But why? Now, in our household, we have our three granddaughters living with us. The twins are three and a half years old. You know what stage they're in? They're in the why stage. They ask why to everything. And when you give an answer to why, they've got another why for that. We want to know why things are, why we're to do things. And so Jesus, knowing people very well, verse 14, he tells us why we are to forgive. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you of your sins. That's a tough why, isn't it? But that's Jesus' standard. That's God's standard for us. And because we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, there needs to be forgiveness for all of us. Forgiving other people and asking God to forgive us. And because God loves us so much, he sent Jesus down to earth to shed to put off his rightly being, his rightly status of who Jesus was, the Son of God, and he came down to earth to serve us. He came down to live, to die on the cross, and to be resurrected again, to defeat death because we are sinful people. Unforgiveness, holding a grudge, hatred towards people, not letting things go. It results in physical responses too, if you haven't noticed. If you've, I would have to think all of us at some point have struggled with unforgiveness. 
And hopefully, everybody listening today, you've got some victory over it. But for those who don't have victory over it, there's actually a, a hormone in our bodies. It's a stress hormone. It's called cortisol. And they've done studies on this. And this, um, this prolonged elevation of this hormone can cause permanent physical effects. The studies say that they've proven that it actually shrinks areas of your brain and will lead to decreased memory. It affects your immune system. It affects some people's reproductive systems. It can affect your gastrointestinal system. There are physical responses. Holding on to grudges and, and internalizing stress over and over can cause effects to your sympathetic and parasympathetic nerve systems. So one of the results of that is increased heart rate, increased blood pressure, heart disease. God has designed our physical bodies that holding onto this stuff is wrong, and we will feel repercussions, wrong effects, if we're not being forgiving people. And I think we all know that it's also a major cause in, in mental health issues, right? Holding on to grudges really create a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, right? The anxiety, oh, I hope I don't meet that person on the street. I hope I don't see them in the grocery store. Oh, I'm not going to that family event because so-and-so is there and they did this to me, right? When you struggle to forgive somebody, the best thing you can do to turn that thing around, to turn around that, is start praying for that person. If you're, if you're holding something against somebody and you're having trouble letting it go, pray for them. Flip it around. Instead of wishing something harmful on them, pray something, a blessing upon them. It may not change them. It probably, well, I shouldn't say it probably. It may not change them. It may, depending on what the situation is. But for sure, it will change you. Because it will lead to you getting to that point of forgiving them, of forgiveness, as Jesus has asked us to do. I'm not sure if anybody's uh, heard of prayer shawls. It's kind of a, a Jewish tradition. Um, they're called talits, if I'm saying that per, uh, properly. And it's interesting, I did a little research here uh, on prayer shawls. And it's believed that they were originally designed and, and started being in practice um, uh, when, um, when, sorry, they were being used in practice after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. The original design, which I'm sure has kind of changed over the years, but the original design was very similar to the Jewish outer garment, a robe. Uh, and it was, 
And the original robe that like, Joseph would have got was designed to protect them from the heat of the desert, to protect them from the heat of the sun. And so at some point in the transition out of Egypt, they came up with prayer shawls. And the prayer shawls were designed to remind, and it was mostly Jewish men who wore them. That was the most common practice. And many Jews still use them today. Remind them to pray. And so they would put them on during their times of prayer. And some would even go, I'm going to wear this all day long because I want that constant reminder of praying for people. So maybe, just maybe, Joseph, when he was going through all this stuff, maybe he thought about that robe, that ornate robe, that amazing multicolored robe that his father gave him. Maybe that was something that he kept going back to. I know I'm loved. It was from my dad. It was from Jacob, from Israel. And so when he did pray, maybe that robe came to mind and he was reminded to pray for his mom, for his dad, and to pray for all of his brothers, regardless of what they had done to him because he knew that God was in control of all that was going on. And it wasn't what they did to him. It was God's plan and his response to what God was putting him, the places God was putting him in place. So maybe we should rename the story from, from what the theater uh, act called it. And let's call it Joseph and the amazing technicolored forgiveness coat.